Hello, and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Dave Johnson will bring a message of hope through our series, Core Values. We're excited to share another powerful episode with you today. And now, here's Pastor Dave. Well, good morning. All right. Well, from time to time, uh, we do some series that aren't just straight out of the Bible. Um, my, my favorite is to just teach a, Bible, a book of the Bible straight through. That's my absolute favorite. But there's times in a, the history of a church, there's times just sort of in the setting of a church, where we just need to lay out and say, what is the foundation of this place? What is most important to us? And as a board and a staff, we came together and a few other folks who were just like very invested in REC, and we began praying about what are the core values here. And there were already some, but we just wanted to say like, how can we really like condense these and make sure that we got the right ones? And then once we got the right ones, we went and talked to a bunch of different people. We found out we were missing some. And so we prayed about it longer and even more, and that was a long process that actually probably many of you didn't even hear about, because as a staff and board, we've just been working on that together and praying on that and saying, okay, Lord, what are the core values here? What is central to this place? And as we did that, we said, okay, we set a date and we just said, all right, we need to teach these values. So we're going to begin teaching them the week after Easter, and that is this week. So welcome to this brand new series on core values. What I like to think of of a core value is this. If you've ever watched shows that need to figure out the age of something or do research on something, they take a core sample, like of the earth or the dirt, the ice or whatever it might be, a tree, they take a core sample. Um, uh, I am, I've been waiting now for like 10 years for them to find treasure on Oak Island, if any of you are with me on the History Channel on this one. They take core samples all the time. You know, the, the Curse of Oak Island. I've been watching that now for like 10 years. And I'm like, today's the day they're going to find treasure. They never do. Um, I don't know why I like these treasure hunting shows. But anyways, they, they drill down deep and then they pull it out and they're able to look at the different things. And so the question for, for me is like, if you were to drill down deep into the heart of REC, what would that core sample reveal? Who, would, who, who are we deep at our core? And articulating and identifying our core values are very important because they're non-negotiables for how we will operate as a church. They're non-negotiables for us as a staff of how we'll operate. They're non-negotiables for me. They're just literally saying, like, we won't, make any, we won't do anything without considering this first. Our first one is biblical authority. Biblical authority, the, the Bible is, is our governing document. <laughs> it, it, of course, it seems obvious. And core values probably should seem a little bit obvious. But it's our core identity here. So the first thing I want to do here is actually read to you the statement that we came up with. And I believe, do we have that for the screen? I can't remember if we put that on the screen or not, but let's, I I think it's on the screen. It goes like this. The Bible is God's holy word. It's the highest source of written authority. Do we have this? We don't have this. My bad. I'm sorry. That is, don't look at anybody back there, that is 100% this guy's fault. So let me just read it to you and you guys try and remember really hard, okay? Take notes, there you go. The Bible is God's holy word. It's the highest source of written authority regarding God's plan for his people. It reveals how to live out that plan individually and corporately. 
Beliefs, practices, priorities, and our mission are to be anchored in clear biblical teachings. That is our number one core value, the most important thing here. And this means that everything that we do is anchored in Scripture. Scripture becomes the most important thing. We anchor everything in Scripture. It means that we believe the 66 books of the Bible are God's inspired and inerrant word. That he gave this to us through, you know, he used human authors, but using the Spirit of God gave us the Word of God. And there's so much there as far as history about how the Bible was formed. We could talk about in another time because there's just so much there, too much to talk about in, in one sermon. But before I started going through why we believe the Bible is the authority here, and that it should not only be the core value for our church, but even for your life. I'm going to be as bold as to tell you that if you don't have a core value that the Bible is the highest written authority in your life, then it should be. Um, before we get into all of that, I thought we'd start with a testimony. So I'd like you to give a big round of applause for Jill. Jill, would you come on up here? And Jill, I'm going to just back up, get out of the way, but introduce you real quick. This is Jill. Is it Latuzic? Am I saying it correctly? Perfect. Okay. She yeah. says that's perfect. You got to hold the microphone okay. up here so that people hear you. And just a quick bit, it's got to be like close to the mouth there because okay. our online listeners won't be able to hear you either unless that microphone is right there. Okay. But um, my wife and I met Jill and heard her story and, just, and I just thought, you know what? This is perfect for our biblical authority sermon. So Jill, I'm going to scooch off over here and let you... Uh, let you just talk. All right. <laughs> Hi. Uh, <laughs> my name is Jill, um, as Pastor Dave said, and um, I was raised Roman Catholic. As a little girl, I really loved God, and um, from the time I can remember, I would draw in pictures and crayon, or as soon as I could write words, I would write notes to him and uh, little prayers. So when I was little, God just felt really close to me, but as I grew older, uh, this disposition turned into really just wanting to know more about the teachings of the church. Being Catholic, um, the number one thing that really we were taught is what's called transubstantiation. So uh, transubstantiation is the belief that Jesus Christ is physically present in the Eucharist, which is communion. Um, and so that's why uh, if you miss mass, it's considered a mortal sin. Or when you go into the church, you genuflect. It's the Eucharist. The Eucharist is there. That's Jesus Christ. That's how we receive Jesus Christ is through the Eucharist. So, yeah, I, um, I had some sincere questions um, about the teachings of the church, especially this. And um, honestly, the answers were kind of what my faith was hinged upon. So, um, unfortunately, about this time, I would, though I was a I was a young teenager, and um, yeah, I probably posed the questions, and I, I did pose the questions in a really challenging way to the poor confirmation teacher who was just trying to serve the church and teach us. <laughs> um, so uh, naturally, at some point, um, I'm sure I was just causing too much of a disruption, and uh, she she just said to me, um, in an effort probably to manage the classroom, Jill, if you if you don't believe that the Eucharist is Christ, then you're you're not Catholic. So I said, okay, you know, and I told the adults that, um, yeah, I, I don't believe in the core of this faith, and um, I expected that would be a problem. It wasn't. Um, and so at that point, the expectation was I would still just 
kind of go through the motions and go through my confirmation. So, yeah, that made me question a little bit, like, um, do, do, do we really believe this? You know, is this just, am I just going through the motions? Um, but it was expected of me, so I went through, I got confirmed, and um, as the priest is putting the oil on uh, my forehead, I just remember praying, Jesus, I believe in you. I, not this, I, I believe in you, but not, not this. Um, so after getting confirmed, I did. I tried to be devout for um, a, a while, but unfortunately I could just never wrap my mind around the teachings of the church. And so eventually my faith fell apart. As a young adult, um, ended up calling myself spiritual. And um, I explored all kinds of different types of like, Eastern meditation or religious spiritual concepts, uh, practices, different philosophies. Um, my belief was really that anything goes and um, anything can be true. I determined that. Um, I determined what I believed and what I thought was false. And um, that's how I rolled for 20 years. And um, I, I thought that it didn't really matter what I believed and that um, anything that was spiritual was good and it made me good. So um, it was all good. Um, I began in time to see Christianity kind of like as a prepackaged set of beliefs that they just give to you and then you're supposed to believe them. And so I very um, proudly and egotistically thought that was narrow-minded and um, just openly rejected it. I openly rejected uh, Christianity and I didn't call myself a Christian anymore at one point. To me, God became uh, like a venting machine that um, at best um, was somebody I turned to if there was something I wanted. Um, even then, I would just imagine that it was some kind of cosmic force field or something. Um, but yeah, through all this, God didn't let me go. Um, it, came around to like my early 40s, and um, this self-made faith that I had spent my life trying to construct was just beyond dead. And um, I was a broken person. Um, I was going through a very traumatic marriage and divorce and was riddled with uncontrollable and chronic anxiety. Um, so it was around this time that one night I was watching a documentary, I think it was on CNN actually, and um, it was about the Turin Shroud. So the Turin Shroud, in case you don't know, um, it's considered by some kind of sorta in the Catholic Church to be um, maybe a relic. Um, some people believe that it's the burial cloth of Christ, and I'm not saying that this is the basis of my faith at all, but at best during this um, agnostic time, um, of my life, when it was when I was watching this documentary that I realized that I truly believe in the resurrected Jesus of the Bible. I, I, it wasn't the documentary that was kind of what sparked it, but I really did at least believe that much that Jesus was resurrected. Um, so yeah, this sent me on to a two-year uh, search for what's, what's true. Um, in the world and in politics, everywhere, it seemed that God was being exploited to me and that Christianity was being exploited. He's on the right, he's on the left. What's true? Um, I remember praying to God again for the first time, just kind of saying, who are you? I, I, I didn't even care uh, what the answer was anymore. I had no vested interest in the outcome. I just knew this. 
I knew that the truth wasn't in me. I could die and the truth would still exist without me being a part of it at all. I didn't decide the truth. So what, what is it then? What's the truth? Um, I wanted to know um, which religion is right, what's true about God, and it just drove me. Eventually, this turned into the question, it's kind of a painful question, but does God know me? You know, am, am, does God know me? I asked these questions in earnest, and I searched for the truth with all my heart. Um, I didn't know this at the time, but both the Old and the New Testament tell us that when we seek God or draw close to him with our whole heart, we'll find him. This is true. This is my experience. So, um, yeah, I knew enough at this point that I was going to be a follower of Jesus. Um, but who's Jesus? I, I didn't know. Um, back in the day, I would have told you that I was an expert on it because I knew uh, the stories of the Bible. I knew Adam and Eve. I knew all the kids' stories, right? Uh, Noah's Ark, Christmas story, Easter story, so I'm set. Um, but I was no longer that sure about myself. <laughs> um, so where I lived, there was this Christian bookstore that I knew sold Bibles. And I figured I better at least know what the Bible says. I never learned it uh, in Catholic school. So, because it's more just um, the church teachings that you learn through what's called a missile. So, yeah, I, um, I remember going in there just totally wanting to be invisible. Nobody talked to me. Nobody tell me about God. I just wanted to find a Bible, and I picked um, the Amplified because it had all the choices of words that I can bring home and go, okay, what, you know, what, what is this? What's true? Um, so, yeah, I got out of there without anybody trying to talk to me, and um, um, I just felt like um, I, I had to figure out what this book said um, on my own. But honestly, at this point, um, it was hard to read. Um, it uh, didn't make much sense for me at this point yet. So I, I tried to read it the best I could, and I searched and I prayed to God um, in earnest, God, show me. I don't care if the Bible is true or, or what it is. Just help me know what's true. And um, I was open to being anything for years. About this time, God put new neighbors next to me um, who were devout Christians and so loving. It's the definition of love your neighbor right here. Um, the way they lived their lives inspired me, and they let me ask all kinds of questions. They talked to me went out of their way to be kind to me, had observable, evident faith, and they knew the Bible. God also put another person in my life at this time who let me bring all my questions as well. So I had three people. <laughs> I would ask questions, you know, as I'm working through the Bible, like, why does Paul say that about women? Or, you know, I love dogs, so why, what, why do they say that about dogs in the book of Revelation? Like, explain it to me. <laughs> I was always met with love, patience, gentleness, good humor, discussion, and prayers, I know that they were praying for me. On June 30th, 2018, at about 10.30 in the morning, um, I felt the typical kind of uh, paralysis of a panic attack coming on. Um, just the anxiety of knowing that you're gonna have a panic attack is terrifying. I couldn't breathe and I just, I felt like I couldn't even move. I fervently called out to who I knew for sure to be the God of the Bible. No one else. 
I wanted that God, the God of the Bible, no spirit guides or higher self, no dead relatives. Um, I, wanted, <laughs> I wanted this specific one, and all I knew was to say Yahweh, and so I cried out to Yahweh, help me, help me. I prayed so intensely through tears and the torture of what I was going through all by myself at home. Something happened when I prayed this, something I never expected. I felt God near me again in my spirit and in my heart. I had no idea at the time, but Galatians 4.6 reads that when we're adopted as children of God, the spirit of the Son is sent into our hearts and calls out, Abba, Father. This is what it felt like for me. Not completely audibly, but in my soul, I understood and I heard not just words, but what I knew was the truth, answering my prayers. I knew it was true. I heard slash felt, I created you, I love you, you're mine. I heard this verbatim before I even knew these things were biblical. Of course, I came across it later on when I was reading the Bible, but now I could read it knowing that these were my experiences too. This is true, I know it, it happens to me as I'm reading the Bible. On that morning, um, I also knew that God knew me personally, that I am his child, he's my creator, my father, and not just figuratively speaking a father in title, but Abba, which translates closer to our English word for dad. It's that personal. In an instant, I felt close to God again, just like when I was little, but more so. Those anxiety tears turned into tears that only come when you understand how deeply you're loved by God. It's not describable. I was shocked and I was humbled. I realized that my whole life, the way I lived it was so vain, selfish, and proud. I didn't deserve this, but I knew it was real and I knew it was true. I knew God is a person. That was a shock to me. Um, and somehow I knew that. And, and not a, a cosmic vending machine. He's a person whom I've denied for most of my life. He is all-powerful and all-love, and I'm all-ego and just this little peon of a being. <laughs> he is the creator, and I am the creation, and that's made me feel so safe. My search for truth ended right there. My years-long chronic anxiety also ended in that moment and has never returned. <laughs> the, the chains were truly broken for me. I could love God now because I knew who God was, and I just wanted to know more. With that, I knew I needed to know the Bible as much as I could learn, and God put this hunger in me for his word that compared to nothing else that I've experienced before in my life. Nothing was more interesting. However, now, when I read it, it was making sense. I could understand. I remember reading Jeremiah or Isaiah and, and seeing how, wow, yeah, Yahweh is Jesus, and just realizing the truth that is in God's word. So I started to look at Protestant churches. Remember, I was raised Catholic, so this is new for me. And um, I was just totally confused. I took the teaching at a granular level with the same inquisitiveness that I had as a teenager. And um, eventually, um, I just decided it was better for me to try to learn from a multi-denomination seminary where um, I could audit biblical interpretation classes. 
So I did that and I found programs that could teach me from the granular level. And what I mean by granular is the fine details of each of the 66 books, the details of how they work together to become the Bible, and the details of the major theological systems like um, Arminianism, Calvinism, Lutheranism. I needed this so I could understand. Yeah, so uh, this was four years ago. And um, it was after a lot of study and thought and academic guidance that I came to realize that my biblically-based belief, um, beliefs line up best with classical Arminianism or Wesleyanism. While I was consistently attending church each week at a few different churches where I lived, um, I switched to attending REC last fall and just recently became a member of this church. Um, this is, yeah, I'm super happy about it. <laughs> This is the first and only church I've ever been a formal member of as an adult in my entire life. Um, it was not a quick decision. It was a long decision. It was based in a very real love of God and a deep dive into the Bible and theology. I know God is real and that his word is true and that when you search for him with a sincere heart, he'll respond. Amen. Thank you so much. Jill, that was worth it. Thank you so much for sharing. One of the things I love about her story is that God does, we, we humans have this natural hunger for the truth. And where she found it was in the words of scripture. I mean, God revealed it to her first, but then it was all confirmed in scripture. And I believe God wants us searching for truth. There's this word in theology, and Jill, you probably know it, it's called salvific. And it, it, what we regard the Bible is as a salvific. Now, this is not the Savior. No one na nailed this to the cross. This is your Bible. It reveals the one who was nailed to the cross. That's its function. That's what it does to you. But we believe that the 66 books of the Bible are salvific. In other words, that as you come to them, you have the ability to find salvation. And, you know, we heard this through Jill's story, and maybe some of Jill's story is your story. And what I, the reason why I appreciated Jill's story when I heard it is because it's part of my story, too. I was searching for truth, and I became a Christian through reading my Bible. The Word of God is salvific. There are many books out there that are good. Many books are great. And, and I kind of had the same journey as Jill, too. I went to seminary and dove deeper and found out that I loved seminary books, and I still love seminary books. And uh, other people that are in seminary, my first question is, what are you reading? And actually, not what are you reading, who are you reading? Who are you reading? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Let's talk. I want to know. I could tell you all about Klein Snodgrass and N.T. Wright's parables and, and how, they're, how they differ in their theology of interpretation of the parables. I, I can tell you all about that. I can tell you all about Willard's articulation of the kingdom, Daryl Johnson versus Bruce Metzger's view of yeah, revelation and how it's fundamentally different. I can tell you all these things. I've spent my entire adult life learning from these authors and many more. I could agree with them and disagree with them, but there's only one book that's salvific, and that's the words of Scripture. So, Jill, thank you for sharing your story with us. I believe it's a, just a wonderful example of the way that God reveals himself. God reveals himself through this book and calls us to, to get into it and to read it and to understand it as well.
Now, there's some interesting history there because we didn't always have this book, right? It's really actually only in the last couple of hundred years, you guys have to understand how revolutionary this is. Even after the printing of the Gutenberg Press, it was still so expensive that the average person couldn't have a Bible, and the authorities in the church wouldn't let the average person have a Bible. They believed it was too powerful in their hands because of misinterpretation. It's only been since people like Tyndale and the King James translation and things like that that we've actually been able to have this accessible to us. It's a revolution, and people have 15 of them on their bookshelves but never read them. Church, we've got to be a church that reads the Bible. So my first feeling is this. God is not the Bible, but God uses the Bible to reveal himself. And the reason why I say God is not the Bible, because when you get to be into biblical nerddom such as me, I, I, am, I, I often have found this true in my life where there's been moments where I've needed to repent because I'm reading the Bible and, I, and the, the, the area I can slip into is that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. But he's not. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we have to be careful in that area because while the Bible does have authority, there is this danger where we could, uh, we could neglect the Spirit. But as you read the Scripture, you'll see the Spirit is in the very first page, it's in every other page, and it's in the last page too. And so we can never neglect the Spirit of God if the Bible is our clear authority. So the first thing I, I wanted to do was to share a testimony because you know, as you can imagine, when you talk about the Bible being authority and you use Bible verses, you can get into some sort of circular reasoning here, right? And so I wanted to show how it's powerful in people's lives first. It's powerful in Jill's life. I know many of you have had stories where the Bible has been powerful in your life. The Bible has been powerful in, in my life. So we'll start there with testimony. And then second, we want to get into now the Word of God. And we've got some scriptures that we just want to share with. And, and, and just so you know, my, I've told you context, context, context is the most important thing. But what I'm going to be doing is, is actually just not giving you a ton of context in this series. It's just giving you key things. But know that I've studied the context and these fits within the context. John 14, 6. Jesus answers, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How many of you have hated that verse at one point in your life? Be honest. I mean, it's true. Many people still today have a very difficult time with this verse. In our pluralistic society, where we've, in our society and our secular pluralism have said there is so many different ways to God, there's many ways to heaven, there's many ways to the Father. They, they hate this verse because there's inherent exclusivity tied to this verse. And I get it. It's a difficult verse, and, and I, what I was told one time is that it seems arrogant to say, I am the only way to the Father, and it seems arrogant for an entire church to look at Scripture and look at this Jesus guy and say, Jesus is the only way. But it's not arrogant to take what no one else offers. See, I've looked at every other religion in the world this is part of my journey of coming to faith, to look at literally all the other religions I could find because I thought, surely Christianity can't be it because that's, you know, 
that's what all these people do, and, and surely there's this mass delusion, and everyone else is wrong. Surely it's got to be some sort of little faith somewhere here or there. But no one else offers salvation the way Jesus offers it. So it's no arrogance to take what no one else offers. Jesus is the way to the Father. The Bible reveals that. Jesus himself reveals that. He is the door. And as we read the Bible... We find that Jesus says that truth isn't a thing, it's a person. Truth is a person. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is the person, is the Godhead, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. It's the person of Jesus. That's what truth is, and that's fundamentally what we're pursuing, is truth. That's why I believe, and I've told people over and over and over again, they, they say, I don't know if God is the truth, but I'm searching for truth. And I invite them, search for truth. I don't, that's fine with me. Go look at Confucianism and Taoism and go look at all the other religions of the world. It's fine because I believe that any honest search for truth is going to land at Jesus. So go ahead, as long as you consider the Bible. As long as you consider the God of the Bible in all of this, it's, it's only an honest search for truth if you look at everything. So go look for, go look. I believe you're going to land at Jesus. Isaiah 55 gives us more of this. And I believe that these words in Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 9 are so important for our society today and just even for us as a church because even though we're set apart from the world, we still live in the world and culture still permeates our ideas. No matter how much I could sit here and teach you the Bible, Instagram and TikTok and My, MySpace, whoa, just went back in time to your top eight friends. Oh, yeah, that's good. What's MySpace? Yeah. You remember Tom? Anyways, my point is social media is so prevalent today that even though that we say the, the God of the Bible permeates all my thoughts and all my ideas, we're, we're inundated with, a, with a, a secular pluralistic society. Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I mean, I don't need to say anything about that because that's just so, so right. That God's thoughts are so much higher than our way, thoughts. That God is smarter than us. God knows that... God knows more. God, we are marred by sin. God is not. See, we need God if we're ever going to make it to the door of Jesus. We need him. I've shared with this, this verse with you um, before. And um, it, it's, it's a central, important verse, an important truth. And I believe the biggest thing that we need to repent for right now in our society is believing that our thoughts and our ways are right. We do this all the time. We assume that just because we have that belief or opinion that it's true. And then we try and make everyone else cave to our opinion. That's the way of society. That is just the way our world works. But God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts. They're higher than my thoughts. And it's one of our biggest unconscious sins that we commit all the time that we believe that we know the truth. 
I love talking about truth and in danger of getting a little bit too heady with you, uh, we're going to dive down a little truth rabbit hole and uh, if any of you know the discipline of epistemology, this comes from that and one of my favorite authors, Dallas Ward, I'm going to put his quote up on the screen. It says this, the bitterness of truth is its total indifference to human will and desire together with the fact that human desire and will is set to reshaping reality and therefore truth to suit itself. Now let me break that down with you, for you for a moment. What he's saying is truth is bitter in that it does not change. It doesn't change. God's word doesn't change. God, God himself, his values, all who God is, is, is unchanging. The truth of Jesus is unchanging and unyielding to our belief. Human desire changes all the time. And therefore, human desire wants to redefine what truth is. That's what human desire does. That's what we do. That's who we are. But what Willard is saying is that there's a certain brutality to truth because in the constant shifting sand of human desire, truth remains the same. To say it more plainly, the truth is the truth, and the truth does not bend to your desire. And that's why people don't like the truth. Because the truth reveals our own wrongness, right? That's what the truth does. And, and truth is indifferent to our belief. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people about heaven and hell, and the number one thing I hear all the time is, well, I don't believe in that, so I'm not going there. There's a certain arrogance to think that whatever you believe can become reality. For hundreds of years, our culture has been attempting to reshape reality and call things true that will never be true. In fact, our society has said that absolute truth just doesn't even exist. And therefore, paving the way for whatever your belief is becoming reality. But the Bible reveals a God of all truth who contains in himself all knowledge, all truth. And truth is not a concept, but it's a person. So truth has to have authority in our lives, church. It has to. If you agree that Jesus is the way, truth, and the life, if you agree that God's ways are higher than our ways then we have to just sit back and admit that, Lord, you are way smarter than we will ever be. And your truth is what matters to us, not my truth. That's what matters. So uh, there's a fill in the blank, and, and some of you are going to hate the words that are in here, but I'm just going to tell them to you anyways. This next fill in is this. Biblical authority imposes obligations on the lives of readers and hearers. To say the Bible is authoritative is to say that it governs all of human life. So the Bible, biblical authority imposes obligations on the lives of its readers and hearers. To say the Bible's authoritative is to say that it governs all areas of human life. Ouch! Because I want to be in control. I want to be in charge. But his ways are not your ways. We cannot restrict the Bible to govern life on Sunday between 10 a.m. and like 11.15 or 
It's God's word revealed to us and his ways are higher than our ways. And the absolute brutality of truth is really found in the next fill in here. And I wanted you to feel how brutal this truth is. Belief must accommodate truth. Truth does not have to accommodate belief. Belief must accommodate truth. Truth does not have to accommodate belief. When you read that over and over and over again and take that home and say, what are some of my strongly held beliefs and ask, are they even true? That really ends up having some weight in your life. If we really are people of scripture, then we've got to be people of truth. We've got to be. Truth has to be our highest aim in life that we go after the truth. And the truth again is a person found in Jesus Christ. So let's skip down and read a little bit more of Isaiah 55. Uh, we could be here for hours on this, but um, we looked at this verse in the Book of Mark series where, where we looked at the parables of Jesus, and Jesus was borrowing from this. But Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 says, As the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish. So he's taking a natural world observation that rain and snow come down and water the ground, and then all of a sudden there's fruit. So that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty. Many of you know the translation, my word will not return to me void, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. This is what God is saying all the way back in Isaiah 55, that his word actually goes forth and does work. God is telling these people in this ancient prophetic book that are awaiting a Messiah. By the way, I, I, the book of Isaiah is all about awaiting this anointed one that his word is going to go forth and do this amazing watering work that will bring about fruit in the world. And we know that when God speaks, the world is created. When God speaks everything into existence, he spoke the first six days into creation. He spoke your life into existence. We know that God's word is powerful. And as we look through this word, as we look through it, we, we actually just see that, um, well, many times, well, let me go step back and say this. When God speaks, the world is created. We live in a culture and society who actually believes, their belief is that when they speak, things will happen. And what I'm talking about here are the things that I've seen actually seep into the church more and more and more. And I just want to speak about it for a second. The whole idea about manifesting and vision boards is a pagan idea. It comes from pagan thought. It does not have anything to do in Christian reality. So if you're here and you're into that stuff, it's a world of emptiness. And it's deceiving you into believing that you actually have power in your word. Not that power is in God. It actually keeps you from a deeper relationship with God. And it's an attempt at becoming your own God, answering your own prayers. So if that's any of you, go throw that stuff away. God has all authority and his word actually moves and changes things in life. So Isaiah 55 says that God's going to send his word out and his word doesn't return empty. And then we fast forward all the way to the book of John and find in John chapter 1 that it says, in the beginning was the word 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you look through and do a survey all through the Old Testament, one of the things you'll see is the Word of God is actually a character. That it shows up in places. The Word of God came forth and said this. It's a character. It's a person. And then John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh. That Word that doesn't return void, by the way. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the embodiment of God's Word. See, only God's, return, God's Word returns fruit. God's Word becomes flesh and truth. And what I want to show you is that Jesus believed in biblical authority. That Jesus believed in it. So let me show you a couple of things here. And we're going to go through these stories kind of quick, even though I'd love to spend an hour on each one of them. We're just going to go through them quick. When Jesus was asked to weigh in on rabbinical debate in his time, you have to understand that they're looking at two different schools of thought. And oftentimes there's other schools of thought sort of surrounding them. So Jesus is asked to weigh in on what do you believe? And so Matthew 19, verses 3 through 6, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? This phrase, for any and every reason, comes from a rabbinic school of thought, not from Scripture, like burning toast and all these other things. You could have, you know, given your wife a certificate of divorce if she unpleased you, it displeased you, if her hair was done wrong one day as a man. You know, seriously, we, there's divorce records for things like this. And then Jesus replied in full biblical authority fashion, haven't you read? What is he talking about? The Bible, the Hebrew Bible at this point. He replied, haven't you read, he replied, that in, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So these rabbis were like, we have a lot of tradition here. Here's our two schools of thought. Jesus, let me give you a school of thought. What do you have to say? And Jesus doesn't enter into any of their schools of thought and says, haven't you read your Bibles? That's Jesus' exact response. Haven't you read your Bible? So to Jesus, the Bible has authority. It's the most important thing. And he goes back in the midst of this debate and says, read the Bible. Mark chapter 7, part of Mark that we didn't fully cover all the way We covered some of it, but not all of it. It says, So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Did you get the question? Why don't your disciples live by the traditions? Tradition's important. It's key. We, we, We celebrate tradition. Tradition's very important in a lot of reasons. But it's not authoritative. So the question that Jesus has asked is, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition? Why don't they wash their hands? Now, first of all, this was not hygienic tradition. So they did not wash their hands before every meal. I know to us today, that's ridiculous. They clearly did not live through COVID. They should be washing their hands. But exact biblical law was that if you touched bodily fluid, if you touched a dead body, if you touched certain things, then you had to wash your hands. And what Jesus is basically saying is like, well, we don't live according to the tradition of others because we live by the Bible. We live by Scripture. 
So the next fill in the blank is this. Jesus elevated biblical authority over human tradition. And if we ever start a tradition here that's unbiblical, some of you should stand up and be like, no, that's not what the Bible says. Because this is how we govern ourselves. This is how we govern the church. If, if any of you, you guys should be the, listening to my sermons and going back and examining it. And I, I should have like 200 people writing me emails and saying, I don't know if you handled this right. You know? No, I'm joking. I, I can't handle 200 emails a week. But my point is, you should test it for yourself. Read the scriptures. Find out if what I'm saying is true. Mark 7, 8 says this, and this is just a damning thing to say. You have let go of the traditions, or you've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human tradition. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human tradition. Our next film is this. Our actions in our lives reveal the extent to which we believe the Bible has authority. If people look at your life, would they see that you're governed by Scripture? Would they find it in your life? Would they see it? There's so much more I could share with you on this point, but I really want to end with this. I want to actually invite the band up as I read this last Scripture. Is 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Paul is talking to Timothy, his protege, and telling him how to lead a church. And giving them just wise advice on how to lead a church. And so what he says to this is, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul wanted the church to know, and this is your last film, that all scripture is God-breathed, literally influenced by the Spirit of God. And he wants the church to know this. So as a church, we believe that the Bible is God's holy word. It's the highest source of written authority regarding God's plan for his people. It reveals how we ought to live, how we ought to live out that plan individually and corporately. Beliefs, practices, priorities, and our mission are to be anchored in clear biblical teaching. This is our number one core value. And I want to encourage you today, there's some responses for you. The first question is, and I really just have three questions Does the Bible have actual authority in your life? And the reason why I ask this is, would you change your opinion based on Scripture? In our world, we have just unchanging opinions right now. Would you bend to this rather than asking this to bend to you? That's how you know God's Word has authority in your life. Are you seeking truth? There's bitterness to it. There's bitterness to seeking truth because it it makes you have to bend, not the Bible. And lastly, are you reading it on a regular basis? Is Scripture having a prominent role in your life? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that, just as the Father said, that his word will not return void, that God, you became flesh. You are those words becoming flesh. And that you are all truth. And so, God, we bend to you. We kneel to you. God, search us if we have any opinions that are, 
that are just not biblical, if we have any thoughts that are not biblical, because God, we, we just as a church have to even say that, that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God, we can't even hold a candle to your thoughts. And so God, search us and change us and help us to bend to your thoughts and not our own. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for your word as it's revealed in Scripture. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church podcast with Pastor Dave Johnson. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that God has touched your heart. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more information about the ministries of RAC, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. See the links in the description.